I'm so used to uh, swatting mosquitoes, if I start going like this, it's just from habit. I went in my barn today and I didn't stay long. All over the place. Are y'all, are y'all, y'all have a lot of mosquitoes? That's because they're all at my house. <laughs> Hope y'all appreciate the blood I'm giving on y'all's behalf. I've got three Martin houses on one pole. It's a Martin resort. I've got about 36 Martins. They're either freeloading or they're full. I don't know what it is. When, tonight? Okay, well. Yeah, a uh, uh, Martin condo. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. This is the last day of May. May the 31st, 2012. And it won't come around again. But they still have some left, so let's make the most of it. Moment of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that everything depends on who and what You are. And You give us the high honor just to go along uh, for the ride and what a ride it is. We recognize that we live in a fallen, degenerate world. We also recognize that we each have our own part to play in your overall plan. And one thing we want to do is be able to live it to the fullest, to live it in such a way that it is pleasing to you. So we pray that the things that we learn, we will file into long-term memory. We will be able to remember it with the help of the Holy Spirit when we are on the front lines, that you will bring to our conscious memory those things that we learn. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. One thing that I'm doing on this Getting the Gospel Right series is something that, I don't know, I don't really care that much about how other pastors teach and their methods and what they do. But I'm doing or let me put it this way, I am teaching things that I wish pastors would have taught me when I was in the pew. I hadn't heard other pastors go into some of the areas that I'm going into. But I think that it's edifying because it certainly is instructive or was instructive to me to get these issues addressed. The one we are completing happens to do with the craving for the experiential that has never been any more intense than it is right now during our day. Very few people are interested in learning the Word of God. Oh, they'll dabble in it a little bit. They'll use a verse or two. But what they're really looking for is, in many cases, what they sense is spirituality, and it's spirituality by emotional stimulation because they haven't been taught what spirituality is. They think that's what it is, is to get all emotionally stimulated. And I, this is kind of a... Uh, I, I say this every time. I think I have every time. When I'm talking about emotions, I don't want you to think that I'm down on emotions, that there's anything wrong with emotions. And if you get so emotional, you get so riled up that Scripture stirs you so much, you want to say, Amen! It's okay. I'm not soliciting it. But there have been times where I've said it when I heard other preachers speaking, and I didn't even... I, it just came out. I mean, and if it, it, it should, that should be the way it is if indeed it is used at all is that you are so overwhelmed in your soul. You are so in touch and in harmony and it moves you. Then that's the way some people express it. Others would say that 
well, there's no place in church for that kind of expression. You know, <clears throat> I don't know of any verses that says, Thou shalt not say amen in church. If you ever go, have you ever been in any black churches before? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they do church quite differently than what we recognize. If you've ever been around black ministers when they pray, it's different. It's not wrong. It's just different. There is more amen and going on. Well, I've been in, in, I don't know how many conferences and just pastors' meetings, and there have been black pastors there. And they're just being themselves. I would never condemn them for doing that, for being who they are. The only reason you're going to hear the message tonight that, you're, that you hear is because I am being who I am. And I'm using what the Lord has given me in such a way that I think it is, is helpful to people out in the pew, even though I've never heard anyone address the issues that I'm addressing to any extent, and certainly not in the same fashion as I do, but I've always wished they, they had. I was on the uh, computer day on my very sophisticated software, Logos, and I was trying to find some of the things to uh, address the issues that I'm addressing, and I just struck out. I couldn't find them. And listen, I know how to search that thing. I can find a word or a phrase in over 2,000 resources that I have on there in less than four seconds. And I couldn't find it. So I don't know if I'm just telling you this so that you... Um, I don't really know why. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm just expressing something that I was thinking about today. And if someone would want to um, condemn me or castigate me because I'm not following the normal format of what would be expected, well, so be it. I'm following the format that the Holy Spirit is guiding me into, and that's what I'm going to use. So here we go. We're starting again tonight, not in the same place, but we've been talking about how few people are getting the gospel right, especially uh, when it comes to um, just the bare bones, the basic gospel. What is it? That's what's missing so many times today. And there are so many fuzzy, nebulous, abstruse gospels uh, come to Jesus. Uh, turn your life over to Christ. And, and all these, we went over so many terms, and it leaves people not sure. Did, did, did something really happen? Did I really turn my life over to Jesus? And how does one do that? And how does one know if he did it? How does one know if he did it right? How does one know that it's going to last? You don't know any of those things. None of these questions are going to be answered because... You don't see in the Bible where it says, turn your life over to Christ. It says what? With regards to the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I challenge you to go on the radio, I mean to listen to the radio, listen to the TV, go to books, wherever you want to go, magazines, you look at it and see how rare it is for someone just to use that with regards to the gospel. They've got every other term you can think of except the one that the Bible uses. So, if you want to follow on the board, here's the notes. Rather than giving unbelievers a simple facts and relying on the convicting, uh, convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, so many people contort the gospel into emotional pleas and promises of a happier and richer life. That's what they think's in it for them, the way the gospel is presented most of the time. God is perceived as a genie in a bottle who generously bestows wealth, health, companionship, or security on the unbeliever who is unable to tame them for himself. Invite Christ into your heart. Come on along. Christ will co-op with you and make your life better. Let me tell you something. We don't invite Christ to do anything because we have 
nothing to offer. He is the one that does the inviting. That's what the gospel is all about. It's hearing the facts of the gospel, the cross, and accepting them. This is a quote from, I believe I got this off of the uh, Berean call. Yeah, uh, April 05. Quote, Instead of exposing modern culture's contempt for God and righteousness and its glorification of sin, the church embraces its decadence as a packaging that will make the gospel acceptable to those who don't know that they need it. Let me stop there for just a second. If you give the gospel right to someone and they're not positive, they should be offended because you should make it so clear that they are sinners. They are on their way to the lake of fire. Reverend Moses Amwebiko, we get his literature. It's in here in the church and uh, emails and so forth. He wrote a book called Riding the Death Train. That's what they're doing. That's what the gospel does. If a person is offended because of that, uh, then they can either get angry or they can get saved. Returning to the quote, Our needing Christ as a shelter from the storm of God's wrath against our sins is not mentioned. The appeal is not to come to Christ to obtain forgiveness and to be rescued from eternity in the lake of fire, but to become happier on earth. Christianity is packaged as spirituality, a popular commodity today, and sold as a good deal that anyone who wants to be blessed would accept. The real issue, however, is sin, not self-esteem, self-love, or self-image. hope you understand that when you're giving the gospel to someone. And I don't think, I know that I'm probably preaching to the choir. I doubt it if any of you have given the gospel, since you've been going here for any length of time, by telling people, well, you need to invite Christ into your life. You need to... You need to come to Christ. You need to turn your life over to Christ. All these other things that they say. But it goes on and on. Unbelievers who accept a false gospel will sooner or later find out that God is not a genie who will give them their desires. They will find the, they will find the uh, satisfaction they seek they will never, excuse me, they will never find the satisfaction they seek, but instead will remain spiritually dead, hollow on the inside and confused. That's what happens to people who reject the gospel. More importantly, time will click away until it runs out for them. Not only will they be left with no hope for happiness in this life, but they face an endless separation from God and confinement to a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the image you want to portray to an unbeliever. That's their choice. Is either accept the free gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ, or they can go to the lake of fire. That's, that's what the gospel is about. And I don't hear many people expressing it in those terms. Now, we're going to flip a page. We're going to start on a new subject tonight getting it started now this is what I was talking about I wish that I had a pastor that had addressed this issue but I never did, heard any of them that did and tonight it might be a little quirky might be a little different than what we normally have because there's going to be a lot more interaction I hope with regards to you thinking and maybe even expressing some ideas what am I talking about? Well, perhaps the hardest thing about witnessing is getting the conversation started. I don't know about you, but that's the way it is with me. There's no one-size-fits-all statement that fits every circumstances. There are so many varied circumstances, plus everyone is different, coming from different backgrounds and belief systems. The Holy Spirit motivates and helps us in our witnessing efforts, 
but it may still be helpful to know a few ideas to how to get a conversation started with an unbeliever. Is that true? Could you use some help in that area? Well, the only problem with this is every person is different. Every situation is different. There's so many variables. But at least I think we can take a stab at something that might be helpful. Because I don't know how many times I've been around someone, strangers. I'm not talking about friends so much now or acquaintances. I'm talking about maybe an acquaintance, but mainly just people you come in contact with. Uh, the electrician that comes to your house to fix the meter or something. And you have a little bit of dialogue with him. Wouldn't you like to give him the gospel? Wouldn't you like to know if he's a believer or not? Well, you start from nowhere near that area. How do you get there? That's what we're talking about this evening. Of course, your location and the amount of time you have to witness are factors that must be considered and how to approach an unbeliever. If you have plenty of time, you can chat with a person to find out what they uh, already think that will help you in steering the conversation towards the gospel. You know, I, I guess because I had some sales experience when I was in the log home business, uh, you might think it, that this is tricky or that it's sneaky, but it's not. When, when people used to come into the model home over here and they were asking me questions about the, the house and how much does a house like this cost and what about this and what about that, guess what? I matched them question for question. Very rarely could they get a question out without me having one in return. I would answer their, their question, but usually it was with another question. And so what I was trying to do is find out something about this person. Are, are they really interested in buying a log home? Are they qualified to buy a log home? And in the conversation that just seemed just as normal as pie, the whole time, the wheels were turning. I was gaining information. I was gaining data so that I could guide them as to whether they should look into a house now. Maybe they should look, uh, this isn't the right time. Maybe this isn't the right kind of house. As far as they knew, I was just passing time chit-chat. But I wasn't the whole time I was thinking. The reason I'm telling you that is because we ought to be able to do the same thing with people who come into our life that we want to witness to. I mean, you don't want to have a stranger that you haven't even met, that you don't even know, just come out and say, well, are you saved? What's the chances of that going over well? Huh? It didn't, it, you don't know, save from what? Is the house on fire? I mean, what? You want to talk to them, get them to relax, find out something about them before you even start to try to open that door a little bit for an opportunity for the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? You can just chit-chat with someone, but at the same time, you're finding things out about them. And that's, that's not tricky. That's not subterfuge. That's not any of those type of things. What it is, is smart. So you have to take in consider your location. Where are you and how much time do you have to spend with this person? Because if you're checking out at some store and you want to have a, just a little shot at this person, there's a certain way to handle that. And we'll talk about that a bit. Or if there's a chance that the person can spend a little more time with you, you're going to handle that in a different way. But the main thing is, how do we get the ball rolling? If you're checking out at Home Depot and you've been talking about boards, how do you, how do you morph in a short time from boards to the gospel? Is it possible? Do you all think it's possible? Yeah, it's possible. But it ain't going to happen unless you are able to crack that barrier. And you don't want to do it in an awkward way. You don't want to just spew out some kind of canned speech. So 
That's what we're talking about. That's where we are. You want to steer the conversation towards the gospel as soon as you think the ground is prepared. Here's, a, here's an illustration. Let's say a young man comes to your house to install a cable TV or cable far TV, I guess. You don't want to be a nuisance or get in his way while he's doing his job, so you might ask if you can get him a snack or something to drink when he gets finished. In other words, you're so eager to give the gospel, and the guy's trying to get his work done, and you're in there, hey, yeah, what about Jesus Christ? Hey, have you ever read your Bible? Hey, what about church? And you're just throwing all these things at him, and he's trying to concentrate and do his work. He's going to think you're a nut job, and he's going to get out of there as fast as you can. I mean, we should have the utmost grace and manners and consideration and thoughtfulness. But some people have a lot of zeal, but they don't have any sense. And so they just charge. So we need to keep that in mind. And they think, as long as I charge, they're just straining at the leash all the time. But we've got to slow down. Wait, wait a minute. Let's not get on the wrong side of this person. Just, this is kind of common sense. So if you offer a snack or something to drink, that's usually when they'll stop working. They're kind of relaxing if they want to have some cookies or, or some iced tea or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and that's a time just for a little chit-chat, isn't it? Wouldn't that, isn't that a normal time? Okay, that's your opportunity to test the waters a bit. But how do you do that? Uh, that would usually provide a chance later to chat for a few minutes. If he declines your offer, you may have a chance as he's packing up before he leaves. Now, you all know how it goes when someone comes to do work at your house. They're in there, you know, banging around. You know, they gotta, you know. Finally, they, they get through. What's the last thing they usually do before they leave? Yeah, <laughs> you will see them, usually. They need your John Hancock on something, so they'll come to you. And you know, by that time, they're probably more ready to listen because they're not anxious about the job, they've done it, and now they're, you know, they just kind of take a sigh of relief. <sighs> okay, and here's the bill. Uh, and sometimes you don't even have to sign it, they're just going to leave it with you. Or they might be saying, look, I did what I could. I have to come back again. Anyway, anyway, that's your chance to talk with them a, a bit. But that's also your opportunity to see if you can take that conversation about your air conditioner and the price of a new uh, condenser or something and, and then turn it into the gospel. That, that's what we're talking about. Isn't that the hard thing to do? Some of you think, well, no, it's just not possible. At least you think, not with me. Well, maybe so, maybe not. You want to make sure they're not, uh, you're not pushy or too aggressive because it will make him uncomfortable and he'll want to escape what he perceives as pressure. You always have to be aware of that. You might ask him if he's uh, been install installing cable for uh, very long, if he likes his job, and did he grow up, uh, grow up and, and does he live around here? Did he grow up around here? Just being friendly to establish a connection. Do you understand what I'm saying? But as he's telling you these things, doo -doo -doo -doo, you got the radar out, see? Uh, you, you might find out. But, you know, if you just give people a chance to talk, in a friendly, conversational manner, a lot of times they will tell you a lot. This young man might say, well, I'm not from around here, but my wife is. And we're in the middle of getting divorced. And, you know, they might tell you their whole life story. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes, some will and some won't. But at least... Um, just with a little bit of chit-chat, like, uh, do you like your job? Are you from around here? How long have you lived here? This is just called small talk, isn't it? Friendly conversation. That's what you want to happen if you can. Because that way, when you make a transition into opening a door to see if you can transition into the gospel, 
it won't come out of the left field like, what? Then you might ask a question like, do you go to a church around here? What are you doing? You're squeaking open that door. You're looking for an opportunity. And if you've been asking him, do you live around here? Do you, um, did you go to school here? You're talking about being around here. And so that's not that far leap, is it? I mean, I wouldn't feel threatened if somebody said, do you go to church around here? That's going to give you a lot of information, as you'll see. That question opens a door that might lead to an opportunity to give the gospel. It might. You have no idea where the conversation will go from there, do you? Huh? See, that's why some of you don't do it, because you control freaks. You want to just, i got it under control, whatever, you know. I don't like to be in uncharted waters. Well, if you're going to be good at giving the gospel, you're going to be in uncharted waters all the time. But you've got your foundation. You're not going to be shaken. You're not going to be insecure. So we don't know where it's going. It might go nowhere. But at least you tried to direct the conversation towards giving the young man a chance to hear the gospel. Now, wouldn't you be a lot more um, satisfied with yourself if you at least made tested the water and asked him, do you go to a church around here? And he says, well... Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to chat, but I gotta go. I mean, you you at least made a. Sh- you gave it a shot. He may answer with one word, no. Of course, you don't let the conversation die there, do you? Some of some of you would. Oh, okay, as far as I can go. <laughs> Whew. You haven't found anything that you... uh, Oh, wait a minute. Oh. (laughs) Then you might ask another question. You haven't found any any that you like? I mean, he doesn't go to church around there. He just said no. And so wouldn't that be just, oh, you you haven't found any that you like? That's not too threatening, is it? I mean, you're not prodding and intruding, are you? It's just in the course of this little conversation we're having. He may answer again with the same word, no. What does that tell you? Not a whole lot. You're not sure where he's coming from, but are you going to let it die there? Huh? No. You don't want to let it die there. Of course not. So you ask, uh, what kind of church are you looking for? See? Some of you, some of you, this is second grade stuff to some of you because you're so persistent anyway. To some of you, this is a mountain to cross. So what kind of church are you looking for? He might say, I'm not looking. Huh? Uh-oh. Are you defeated? Are you going to let it stop there? Huh? <laughs> you want to see the next paragraph? <laughs> Do you let the conversation die there? Of course not. You say, you might ask, um, why not? Do you see where we've gone? You don't have no idea why he's not looking. Wouldn't you like to know? Hmm? Why not? Do you think this is too pushy? Would you rather just let it die and let him die and go to hell? Okay, let's see what's next. We don't know what the young man might say, but whatever it is, whatever you, uh, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to ask another question, aren't you? Huh? You're going to ask questions until he says, I'm sorry, I'm gone. Bye. And he goes to the car like this. Now, I know some of you think, well, I can never do that. 
Well, it might be just one question away from breaking, breaking it open and that door flings wide open and he starts telling you what he really thinks. So what I've done next is given you um, some things that how he might answer and what you might respond, okay? Now, this is where the interactive part comes in more because I, I just got one brain and... You know, I don't know how if it's in full gear all the time. So I'm, I, I've got a scenario going on. Now, we're at this point where he says that I'm not looking, and you say, why not? Now, here are some of the things that he could say and possible response on your side, but there might be more responses that you might come up with. I'd like to know what they are. Here, just in case we'll be ready. Okay, the young installer says, I don't believe in God. He's not looking because he doesn't believe in God. You say, well, okay. <laughs> what might you say? There you go. Look what I have. Then what do you believe in? Huh? Isn't that natural? I mean, he said, I don't believe in God. You might say, well, why not? Or, okay, what do you believe in? Where's it going to go from there? I can only carry these so far. But wouldn't you like to know? You'll never know if you don't ask them, well, then what do you believe in? Or he might say, I don't believe in all that stuff. What are you going to say to someone who says, I'm not looking for any, to, to, for any churches? Well, why not? Because I don't believe in all that stuff. What might your response be? By the way, I'm giving you a, you know this already, but I'm telling you. It's, got, it's going to be a question. You know that. I mean, what, what do you have? You say, oh, well, that's, that's a shame. What do you have? Nothing. And the conversation whoop, ends right there. So it has to be a question. What might the question be? There you go. It's not hard. What stuff? See? Now, you know what? That door might just fly open. He might just start emptying his heart. He might have had a bad experience in church. Someone embarrassed him. And he swore he'd never go back to a, a church again. And he pours this out to you. Boy, have you made some progress now? Okay, what if he says, I don't know what this thing getting in my way is, but I don't like it. There. Uh, I'm a good person. I don't need church. What do you say to somebody like that? See, y'all are having to think, aren't you? Are y'all thinking? Okay. Okay, that's, that's one thing. What do you call good? I'm not good enough to go to church. That's what his response is. I'm not looking because I'm not good enough to go to church. This is a softball. This is an easy pitch. Y'all will knock this one out of the park. What would you say? Huh? None of us are any good anymore. The rest of y'all just standing there. Huh? How good do you have to be? Well, this is what I have. Uh, what does being good have to do with it? What does being good have to do with it, going to church? And if you ask him that, what would you do? Wait for a reply, Right? What if he says, I don't like churches? He might just be honest enough to say that. Okay, what are you going to say? Yeah, why, why not? I'm doing pretty good. Why or why not? You don't have to go to church to worship. Oh, what are you going to do then? See, he's not telling you he's an unbeliever. He's just saying, well, you don't have to go to church to worship. What are you going to say? Somebody? She has no problem with it. <laughs> Anybody else? What? Y'all got any ideas how you would say it? You don't have to go to church to worship. Is that true, by the way? Yes, that is true. But are you? is that what you're going to say? Well, yes, that's true. Uh, I'll see you. What is it? It has to be a question. How about this one? 
Okay. Okay. Uh, that, that A lot of people are uh, afraid to go to church because they're afraid they won't be accepted. And they have a stigma against that because they don't think they're good enough to go to church. And you can address this. Here's what I have if someone asks me, you don't have to go to church to worship. I would say, well, where do you worship? What's the matter with that? Huh? Where do you worship? And you know what my next question is? I don't care what he, what he would answer. You know what my next question is? Well, either who do you worship? How do you worship? If you don't go to church to worship, and you don't have to go to wor- uh, church you can, to worship, you can worship you know, just about anywhere, but I'd be interested in where do you worship and how do you worship? Rafi said, all, churches want, all the churches want is your money. What are you going to say? <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> but what do you have if you answer it that way? Nothing. So it has to be a question to, to keep it going to find out more in order to get the gospel to him. So what would you say? All churches, all churches want, all that they want is your money. So what are you going to say? That's not a question, though. It's, there you go. Is that true for all churches? See, the, he's, he's speaking from his experience at churches, and every church he went to is all about money. But if you ask him, are you sure that all churches are that way? Can he say unequivocally yes? No, because he hasn't been to all churches, just the ones that he went to. So you can at least enter an element of doubt. What if he says, I don't have time for church? Y'all already saw my answer, didn't you? I don't have time for church. I'm so busy. I'm here. I'm there. I'm all whatever. I don't have. What are you going to say? Well, that would that would be good. What do you have time for? But really, uh, he might say, "Well, I have time for baseball." And, you know, he might just give you a laundry list of uh, what he has time for. But it's not time for church. This was a little harder. It makes you think a little harder. Well. Yeah, well, that one that might be a good one. I mean, one hour you don't have one hour a, a, a week. I mean, hopefully it'd be more than that. But this is what I have. Uh, you know, you might say, well, if you don't have time for church, do you have time to think about your eternal destiny? That might be a good question. That might strike a chord. I have here. Uh, do you have time for God? He didn't have time for church, he says. And I'm asking, okay, well, do you have time for God? Now, see, what, I'm kind of painting him in a corner because if he says, well, I don't have time for church, but do you have time for God? He's alleging that you can have, maybe he's alleging that he's, he's a good Christian, but he doesn't go to church. And you don't have to go to church in order to worship, and you don't have to go to church. You don't have to spend a lot of church, uh, time at church in order to be a Christian. Is that true? Yes. Well, I, this is just... He, this same guy isn't saying all of this. I'm just throwing out things he might say. He might be a believer. But he might think spending time at church is, isn't necessary. And it's not necessary to be saved, but it is necessary to be an obedient Christian, isn't it? Because we are commanded to assemble ourselves together to study the Word. Now, he, he might not know that. I don't know. Um, I don't need a pastor. I can study for myself. What about that one? There you go. Any others? I think that's one of the best ones. That's what I said. Why did God give the spiritual gift to pastor teacher if... You can study for yourself and you don't need one. I suggest you take that up with God because He tells us, He commands us to assemble ourselves together. He's given a pastor. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 17, the uh, flock is obliged to obey their pastor. Now, that doesn't mean the pastor can go into your house and uh, tell you how to run it, but as far as there, there's an authority. The local church is like a family there has to be a head of the family. Is the this the uh, pastor? So that might be a good uh, answer. I don't get anything from going to church. Okay, think about that one now. For you, answer. Think about it. 
you want to answer it in such a way that you can lead him to the gospel. He might be in error. You're not just trying to point out his error that he didn't get anything from it. It might be that he's legitimately not because he's going to church where they're not teaching anything. You don't know. But if a person says you've led them through this little maze of questions and now you're trying to get to the gospel and they say, I don't get anything from going to church. What have you been hearing in church? That's, that's pretty good. I mean, you know. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's what I've got. What are you looking for? In other words, he's, he's not getting what he wants when he gets, goes to church because when he goes there, he doesn't get anything from it. So wouldn't a, a good question be, what are you looking for? You went to church for some reason. Why did you go? Wouldn't that be a good question that might open the door to the gospel? Uh, churches are phony. Well, I know what you're going to want to say. You got that right. <laughs> but you don't have anything there. It's got to be a question. Essentially, we're going to use the same reply that we used before. How does he know if all churches are phony? He might know the ones that he's gone to are phony, but he didn't know that all churches are phony. So you might ask him, uh, are you sure all churches are phony? Can he say unequivocally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, they're all phony? No, just the ones that he's gone to. Well, that's, that's you know, a, a lot of, any time you're in doubt, whether it's phony or any of the other terms, don't take it for granted that your definition of phony is his definition of phony. You're right, this might be a good place where someone says, what do you mean by phony? And then he's going to describe, gives you more information. That's what you want. Um, I don't belong in church. <laughs> and you might say, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'd say that in jest. What do you say? And some people think this. What if somebody has lived a life of crime? Some people are, think they're so sinful, they, they, they just would somehow taint a church if they entered, entered into it. What do you say to somebody who says, um, I don't belong in church? There you go. It just, I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah, what makes you think? That's all you want to know. Um, you might say, what makes you think that? Why would you think that you don't belong in church? See, obviously they would think that they're not as good as the church-going people, and that might open a perfect avenue to the gospel, wouldn't it? Uh, church, churches don't have anything I want. There you go. <laughs> okay, what do you want? What are you looking for? Uh, let's see. Why would I want to go to church? Now look at this one. This one's tricky. He's asking you a question. How are you going to answer it? <laughs> okay. But he's asking you, why would I want to go to church? You, you, it's got to be a question, though, to keep the conversation going. You could say, well, I don't know, why wouldn't you? What I've got, I thought would kind of turn it around on them, is, um, I don't know why, will you tell me? <laughs> I mean, he's asking me, why would I want to go to church? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Will you tell me? <laughs> See, you're trying to get this person to open up to you. There's a problem there. Churches are for losers. I had somebody tell me that one time. Do what? See a question. There you go. I'll get that idea. What gave you that idea? What would it take? Church. <laughs> what burned out is kind of what said earlier. What do you mean burned out? What he means by burned out? What do you burn out? And great and a bunch of religious. And when he does that, listen hard to you. Who 
aren't. Group fine that don't have hypocrites. All Christians are there hypocrites? See, he doesn't know that. Yeah, same thing. Establish a pattern just to put it in and part is Wow. And we got <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I, what are you going to do? What do you, you, you take him through this process. Every night, church. Well, why? And he this. A pop potential one, you could say. <laughs> you have nothing to lose. And you should. It doesn't matter whether they had a right to be offended or not. Sorry. It was never my intention. It's the first. And then, you have to save. Now, this is a hard thing. I just say, well, I'm sorry. I'm not. See, I told you, I'm not looking. What I'm a simple What are you? Your job? Isn't it nice around here? By the way, do you go to church around here? That just sounds like just another question in the middle of it. That's the one. See. And look what all might come from that just by asking that. Now, I'm trying to get us to think in a way to look for opportunities and how to slide from something that's completely away from the gospel, just kind of slide right in there in an innocuous way and just a little simple question and see where it goes. Now, that came from one simple question that uh, opens the door for giving someone the gospel. Here are some more. Are you all ready for some? And maybe you can tell me some, but these are some that I came up with. This is somebody that you don't know. This is, or I guess it could be an acquaintance. I don't know. But we're talking about how to get that door open. How about this one? And you wouldn't say this. You wouldn't be at a ball game and in the seventh inning stretch, y'all stand up and you're, you turn around and you say, Hey, uh, by the way, are you afraid of death? <laughs> what? And that's going to be the, the, the reaction? I'm not going through the whole scenario setting this up. This would be a good one at a funeral, would it not? You go to a funeral and the pastor's been talking, the dead person's over here, they put them in the grave. You might think, whew, man, this, this is heavy. What about you? Are you, are you afraid of death? See? That, that wouldn't be like out of the field. Um, what will happen to you after you die? Now, I have to admit, I've used this before out of the clear blue. I don't know where the time went. Anyway, I'll tell you this. It was in 19... About 1969, 1970s, right along in then. I was working in a fabrication shack where... Astroworld used to be. This was a big complex. They were building the Astrodome, Astroworld, Astroworld Hotel. And I was a peon that was working in a, a you know, the shed was about as big as this room here, fabrication, and we were building uh, supply systems. And, and it was real hot during the summer. And this other young guy with me was... Uh, right along with me. And we would take a break in the about every two and a half hours. It was so hot. We would go out and sit down and have a break. And I just, the Holy Spirit was just telling me, do it. You know, talk to Him. And listen, He was not a church goer. He was the other side of the coin of a church goer. He was kind of uh, wild. But anyway, we sat down to have a, a, a break, I, just for we only had about ten minutes, and I just turned to him and I said, "You know, I'm be honest with you. I've been really, I have a burning desire to ask you a question, but it might be too personal. But I really have a desire to ask you it anyway." He said, "Well, what is it?" And that is what I asked him: "What will happen to you after you die?" And it must have been the Holy Spirit that was. Uh, motivating me to do that. He broke down. He started crying right then. And I had no idea what his reaction was going to be. And more than anything, I think what he expressed to me is 
that no one had ever cared enough to ask him. That's what I got out of the conversation more than anything. He was a throwaway child. He was one that had a, a, a childhood that nobody wanted him. He'd been on the streets and all this type of thing. And, um, of course, he did have no idea what was, you know, what was going to happen to him after he died. But more than anything, that what meant so much to him was that someone cared enough to ask him. And so we didn't have much time left, and I, uh, we were both in tears by the time that ten minutes was over because I was telling him about this great God that loved him more than he could imagine. He sent his own son to the cross and now offers eternal life just by accepting that gift, believing and trusting in his son and his provision rather than his own works. And in that few minutes when we both walked back into that shed because I had asked that question, I don't think either one of us were the same. So it just, this is, I didn't know how else to put it. That, that's as, as um, raw and unsophisticated as you could probably get, but that's what was on, in my soul. That's what I wanted to know. And sometimes that's the way it will be. But we need to look for these opportunities and look for ways to segue into talking about the gospel. In that case, I didn't have much time, and it was the right time at the right place with the right person, and I just said that, and I don't know what the repercussions of that was, but I know both of us had changed after that. So, I'm completely out of time, and... We'll continue this next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You have all the power. Your love is endless. Your grace is matchless. We want to convey that to a lost and hurting world. And yet we're so frail and feeble, we don't always know how to go about it. So we pray that something in this study might stick. Something might motivate us or... Uh, give us the courage to just try to open the door to the gospel to people when we feel awkward and we don't know exactly how to do it. And we want to do it in such a way that we don't drive them away. But we recognize it's all in your hands that you're the one that's motivating us to do this. We'll look into your word and see some examples as to how the Apostle Paul did it. The main thing is the desire and the motivation to give the good news to those who desperately need it. There's very little really true good news in this world, and we have it. and We need to share it. You command us to share it, to give the gospel, to be good ambassadors for Christ, for that's how you reach the lost, is through your children. So we pray that you will help us to uh, be emboldened, meditate on these things and pray about it so that we can indeed be good and faithful servants. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.